0: I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome, or welcome back, to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. With me, your host Molly Watts, coming to you from it's a pretty groovy Oregon right now. I got to tell you, I am, I am digging the weather vibes around Oregon this February. Mostly dry. It's been mostly dry, mostly sunny. We have. A little bit of rain here and there, but some days that are really like up near 60 degrees already early February. Yes, please. (laughs) If you haven't made it to Oregon, I say it all the time. But if you have never ventured out to the Pacific Northwest, I wouldn't highly recommend coming right now during February. I'd wait until the summertime, but you really have to make a plan to come out and see us because it really is a spectacular part of the country. How are you doing? How is your February going? I have a little confession to make. How did the Super Bowl go for you? The Super Bowl was great for me, by the way. I have no, uh, that's not a statement about the Chiefs or the 49ers. I just wanted a good game, got one. I just heard that it was the seventh longest football game in NFL history. I mean, in overtime, it was only the second overtime in Super Bowl history, and it was really by and large a really great game. I was disappointed that there was an injury for the 49ers just because I didn't, I was hoping that we could avoid all that, but it was a good game. And I had exactly one beer during the entire time. I enjoyed it and I drank non-alcoholic beers, had some fun food and enjoyed time with my family. It was just a really great event for me, a really great day. How about you? Because I had such a great time on the weekend and watching the Super Bowl, I have to be honest, I did not do enough work on my podcast episode that I was supposed to be dropping this coming Wednesday on the 14th on Valentine's Day. I was supposed to be doing the last Alcohol Core Belief. I've got five Alcohol Core Beliefs. Alcohol Core Belief number five was supposed to be dropping here on Valentine's Day Instead, <laughs> I am going to share with you a conversation that I had that I absolutely loved having, and something I'm really excited to share with you. We will go back and revisit and go back and finish Alcohol Core Beliefs next Wednesday. I will spend a better amount of time getting prepared for that because I just wasn't happy with what I was finished with when I got it done and was getting ready to record. I just wasn't done yet, and I knew it. And I didn't have enough time because of the weekend, and because I had a lot of—I was enjoying myself, just being fully transparent, right? So I took that time to do that. It was a special event, and because I didn't apply myself appropriately, evidently, um, in other parts of the of the week, I am not ready with alcohol core beliefs number five. But we'll be there next week. So this week you get to hear from. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Now, do you know who that is? Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist. Her research is specialized in understanding how our brain creates our perception of reality. And she has been interested in that subject, which she talks about a little bit in in our conversation, because her brother was diagnosed with schizophrenia, She became a neuroanatomist so that she could understand and better help people that had mental health disorders. As irony would have it, this is from her website, in 1996, at the age of 37, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain. And she basically had a stroke a rare form of stroke. She could not talk, walk, read, write, or recall any of her life. And it took her eight years to completely rebuild her brain. She did a TED Talk in 2008. And that TED Talk, called, based on her book, My Stroke of Insight, was the first TED Talk to ever go viral. And really overnight, both Ted and Dr. Jill became world famous. And that TED Talk has been viewed well over 27.5 million times, which I will link it in the show notes. She That year in 2008, she became one of Time's most 100 most influential people in the world. And she was also a premier guest on Oprah's Soul series. So to say that I was ecstatic to talk to Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor about the brain would be an understatement. She, in 2021, published a new book called Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. And that's really what I wanted to talk to her about, because whole brain living and how I talk about different parts of the brain are really uh, intertwined. I think that you are going to get so much out of this conversation. Again, I was just thrilled that she was willing to take the time and willing to be on the show. An incredible person. Incredible. If you've ever doubted whether neuroplasticity is real, I think you're going to understand just how real it is after hearing from Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Without further ado, here is my conversation. Good morning, Dr. Jill. Thank you so much for being here on the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I'm just honored to get to talk to you and share a little bit more about the beautiful, brilliant human brain because I know you and I agree that it's a really wonderful thing.
1: First of all, it's great to be with you, Molly. And boy, isn't it great to have a brain, especially when it's working well. Yeah,
0: I I know. And I know that many people in my audience may not be as familiar as I am with who you are and your story. So can you just take me back quickly to 1996 and what happened? And and actually, even before then, what you were doing, because your life and what you were working on is kind of uh, amazing that that ended up what happening with your, the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. I was the right girl in the right place with the right credentials to have a major stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, I, I grew up to study the brain because I have a brother diagnosed with the brain disorder, schizophrenia, and he's only 18 months older than I was. So I am. So Uh, you know, all we know as children is that we're the same or we're different. And Mm -hmm. I realized that he and I were very different. And so I tuned into, you know, body language, facial language, uh, just what am I as a biological creature and how can two of us have the exact same experience, but walk away talking about it completely differently. So, um, because of my relationship with my brother, I became fascinated with the human brain. And so I grew up to be a neuroanatomist and I'm a cellular neuroanatomist. So I think about the brain as cells in circuit with one another. And I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. Um, And I was teaching neuroanatomy. So I think in terms of cells and circuits, as well as gross anatomy, which is cellular anatomy of the whole body. And I woke up on December 10, 1996, and I was experiencing a major hemorrhage in the left half of my own brain. And over the course of four hours, through the eyes of a neuroscientist, I got to watch my own circuitry go offline by group of cell, by group of cells, ability by ability. And after four hours, I could not walk, talk, read, write or recall any of my life. I became a complete infant in a woman's body and I had a major hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of my brain. So uh, the physicians obviously rescued my, my life, saved my life. And nobody had any idea how I would recover. Um, and, uh, two and a half weeks after that, I had major craniotomy surgery where they removed a blood clot, the size of a golf ball. And they said, Mm. go home and recover. We have no idea what you'll get back, how much you'll get back, but good luck with that. And it took eight years, but I, uh, after eight years, I had completely rebuilt my left brain using what my right brain knew about cells and circuits and what was going on in that left hemisphere. But it, it took eight years, and. And then um I was back to teaching uh, neuroanatomy and gross anatomy at the at the medical school level. And um, uh and then I wrote a book, My Stroke of Insight. Um, and, and lo- all life changed after that. Yeah,
0: that was a pretty monumental, uh, monumental thing. The the I mean all monumental, of all of it, exactly, <laughs> all of it's pretty monumental. Amazing that you yeah. survived, amazing. Yeah. And and uh, you know, so I here around here we talk, I talk about neuroplasticity with people. And, uh, I would say you obviously believe that neuroplasticity is pretty real because uh, oh, you, yeah. don't, you don't rebuild a brain over eight years yeah. without, uh, neuroplasticity right. in 2008, you then, uh, after your book or bef- was it before the book or after that you gave your Ted talk?
1: I had, I, I self-published the book in 2006, in 2008. Okay. 2006- I gave uh, my TED talk, and it was the first TED talk to, to explode into the universe. So, TED and I got famous <laughs> together around the world. That was exciting. Uh, Oprah found out about the TED talk, and yeah. then uh, she she invited me onto both her program and her webcast. Uh, and then I was I was chosen as one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world because they were sitting in the audience of TED um and so that that trium that trifecta just really blasted me and the the book out to the world yeah um, and and it was uh you know it was a remarkable experience for me personally i say the tsunami of energy that <laughs> hit
0: me right? at that
1: point was as powerful <laughs> as the tsunami of energy that that shifted me with the stroke
0: yeah i can't powerful. i mean Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, The whole thing is so incredible. So fantastic. And you and so that's, I mean, and that's, and folks, I'll link it in the show notes, you can go watch the TED talk. It's amazing in and of itself. And I mean, you could have stopped right there. And really, you know, had a pretty incredible uh, experience with life, right? I mean, let's, let's, yeah. yeah. And (laughs) you have continued to to study the brain, you've continued to refine kind of that experience that you had during the rebuilding of your brain. And you then went on to write this book that we want to talk about today, which is whole brain living. So tell me a little bit about that journey from my stroke of insight into whole brain living.
1: Yeah. So um, after, you know, all that happened to my life, I traveled the world. I was keynote speaking everywhere about the brain and the beauty of the brain, blah, blah. And um, but but I realized that people had a, because of that Ted talk in the book material, they had a reverence for me. People, I mean, first of all, it breaks down all personal boundaries because we become as big <laughs> as the universe in the Ted talk. Um, but there was a real level of reverence for me and, and I didn't need that. I, that wasn't what I, that wasn't my goal. My goal was that we had a reverence for ourselves mm-hmm. because I wanted people to realize we all are this miracle of life and we all have this left hemisphere and this right hemisphere and this capacity were just this wonder. And and so it was a miss. And I kept thinking to myself, how do I communicate that to people? How do how do I really give what I gained? And and you know, when you lose a left hemisphere, you lose all language. There is no language in the experience of the right hemisphere. Instead, there's the experience of this big picture. Everything is a collective whole. Well, how do you use words to describe that which has no language? Right. Uh, As soon as I say red, we all have a different shade of red flash into our brain. Right. That's the power of language. But it's still a miss for the red. I'm trying to communicate because. Because red is a vibrant, energetic experience, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so um, I realized I was actually keynoting somewhere and I said, you know, I love presenting about the brain, especially in this day and age. Because back in the eighties and nineties, when I was in school uh, and doing my research, I'd talk about the brain, but everybody kind of like looked down. It was like, oh my God, talk about the brain. It's going to go over my head, too much information. But now people love it. And people know the language they know about the hippocampus and about the amygdala. But the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala and two hippocampi. And there was an audible gasp in the room and I thought that's it people think we have one emotional system and because we have one emotional system all of our emotions are just flopping around in soup and when we experience emotional conflict we don't have any way of fixing that because it's all in one thing and we we have to pick and it's like no we have two different emotional systems and because we have two different emotional systems, we can get to know the, 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 each of those very well and put them in conversation with one another, but they have different values. And because they have different values, they're going to want different things. And so we have conflict and, and that was it. And, that, and so once I realized that, I, I wrote Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, the anatomy of choice and the four characters uh, that support our lives, that drive our lives. So, so by getting to differentiate our two emotional personalities, characters, and our two thinking characters, then all of a sudden we start to make sense to ourselves because it's like, oh yeah, that's my right emotional value Mm -hmm. structure and personality. Oh, that's my left thinking personality structure and skill set. And and then once you know these four parts of yourself at this level, then you can bring them all together in what I call a brain huddle, B R A I N, it's an acronym, of course. The yep. brain and and have these four parts of ourselves actually communicate instantaneously with one another so that we never experience conflict again. And boy, when you don't have conflict, what do you have? You have peace. <laughs> Yeah. And you project peace into the world and you live a peaceful life and you hang out with peaceful people. It's and I,
0: <laughs> it's love it's, it's wonderful. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that, that this book resonated with me, things that you talked about resonated with me is because I describe here on alcohol minimalist, my relationship with alcohol as being peaceful. And one of the things that, and, and, and the reason that's important is because just like you said, when you don't have conflict anymore, when you are at peace with what you're, you know, it's a pretty good thing. Right. Yeah. And I have always, uh, you know, I, I jokingly laughingly now, because I kind of always prided myself on being, you know, a smart person and an educated person. And I definitely, when I decided to change my relationship with alcohol, I dove into neuroscience to understand my brain better. And here I thought I knew my brain so well And I was just like many people, just that you just described, thinking, I I thought I understood from an organizational standpoint, which is different than the anatomical structure, right? But from an organizational standpoint, I understood the logical prefrontal cortex, the emotional limbic center, and then the reptilian brain. So I I understood it that way, which which helped me. Which is Unde- all true. Yeah, which is all, all true. true. And help yeah. me understand myself better, right? Which I think is at the core too of what you talk about. Because once we understand ourselves better, once we understand these parts of our brain better, we have more agency in yes. determining what it is. And I talk a lot about Uh, I didn't really realize at that time, even it took me, you know, until I was (laughs) middle age to figure out that I had a lot of agency in actually creating the experience that I was having in my life. Right. And I really think at the, at the root, that's what whole brain living is all about. It's being able to understand the different parts that you, so that you can, you can create when I say create, I mean, you are, living a life that you are looking at each part of your brain, understanding how it's integrated with whatever you're experiencing and choosing then, right? right? Which part of it you're going to, you're going to allow to be there or not, not allow to be there, but to express itself at that point.
1: Yeah. Who do I want to be? I have the power to choose moment by moment, who and how I want to be in the world. What do I choose?
0: Right, and I think that's what's so what I loved about it so much because, and and like I said, this is really just a deeper dive of things that I think that I understood, but understanding the four parts of the brain that was it's a lot. This the book is it's there's a lot there, and it takes me it took me you know going through it a couple of times, you know- and I really appreciated. P.S. I'll just give a plug to this: the fact that you put in cheat sheets and things to yeah. ask you know to to make yeah. to kind of dummy it down for yeah. the rest of us because well, <laughs> we're not all not, neuroanatomists I,
1: I I wanted people to you know the the brain can be a very you know we can I can teach a course in it right and yep. it's like that's not what this book is about this book is about about uh how do these four modules of cells the two emotional cells in the right and left hemisphere and 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 fundamentally, the right and the left hemisphere are different. Right. And, and the right hemisphere, if the right hemisphere is right here, right now, with no past, no future and no ego center that says, I, Joe Bolte Taylor, i am an individual and I exist right in the absence of that, then what do I have? Because I'm having a completely different experience, a different perception. And there are routines in my life that allow me to have that part of me open up naturally. And for most people, it's going to be like, what does it feel like when you're standing on a mountaintop and you feel your heart expand and you feel your eyes just bring in all this glory and you just, you just feel like you're this tiny little, tiny little, you know, tiny little speck in this big picture of the universe. What, what is that feeling without the negative judgment that I'm nothing but a tiny little speck, right? Right. right but yeah. without, without that negative judgment, just the wonder of life that i exist at all here and i you know a lot of people feel the same thing when they're standing on the beach and they're looking at the horizon and 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 it's like wow you know i'm a part of this energetic relationship with this ball called earth that's spinning through space and wow you know i'm i'm life and just that wonder and that's actually wired into a part of our brain and we can train ourselves to know well how do i how do i have more of that how do i set myself up to have more of that what do i what what is countering me having that experience how do i what what is dominating inside of my own brain the cells in my brain that allow me to have more of that that feeling or that experience. Um, because everything we do, every ability we have is because we have brain cells that are performing that function. So as I'm speaking, if I'm speaking, then those cells are inhibiting the portion of my brain that has no language mm-hmm. and the portion of my brain that has no language has no value. For language, it has its own experience, and when I'm doing that, I mean, I can zone myself out into, you know, the trees and the woods and the movement of a leaf that's fluttering in the breeze, and automatically, my language slows and eventually disappears because because if I'm being that, I'm not talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, mm-hmm. so different parts of the brain are competing for the microphone, in how am I expressing myself in the world? And if I'm choosing, if I don't like how it feels to be me, and I want to uh, change that, I have the capacity to be any of these four parts of me. And one of them doesn't feel very well. Part of them is the pain from my past. And that's actually in the circuitry of the left hemisphere emotional tissue. So so if I'm hooked into the pain from my past and I wanna get out of the pain from my past, well, what are my choices? How do I do that? Well, I personally do that by going to the art space. Right. Even if I'm just cleaning it up or sweeping the space, I'm allowing that part of me that is creative and open to come online and take over the dominance. Where's the energy in my brain? Or I'll go to the office and I'll start doing taxes because it's an intellectual process. One plus one equals two. I don't have any emotion about that. I do have emotion about taxes, but I don't have any emotion about math or making phone calls or those kinds of things, which is a different part of my brain. Or many people may go into prayer or into meditation in order to feel the higher level of of, uh, expansiveness and openness. So we have these different essentially realms that we can live in inside of our brain. But if we get caught in that, the pain from our past, then oftentimes that's a good time to say, well, I'm going to take a mind altering drug in order to not feel what I'm feeling. And alcohol is currently available everywhere for that. So it's easy to say, "Mm, you know, I want to have a drink.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that. I was just going to go there. And that's exactly what we talk about here is that that's people, people, you know, they try to, they, many people want to think that, Oh, I just drink wine because I like the taste or I just like this. But at the end of the day, we are all drinking because we're trying to solve for some sort of emotion. And very often it is something that is linked to our past. And that's what I love about this framework, this idea of having different parts of our brain, because we are, we do have incredible agency, right? I always say, I always say every thought isn't right. Every thought is optional. Right? Yeah. It's optional. You get to choose and it's, whether or not it's whether not not. Yeah, exactly. and it's
1: not true. I mean, right. there's so much stuff our brain says to us that simply is not true.
0: Right. And if we choose to believe everything our brain says, well, we're deceiving ourselves. Right. And and I always I always I encourage people to ask ask your brain the question, what else is true? Right. right. Because if we ask what else is true, then it's going to open up hopefully into, and just as you so beautifully put we get to di- we can direct it into different areas of our brain yeah. that actually solve you know that actually comfort and soothe for that feeling right yep. that feeling that we're trying yep. to escape with alcohol we ca- we have the power to do that with our own beautiful brilliant human brains and it's yep. a it's a much more sustainable and healthier option yeah. for everyone yeah. <laughs> right sure. Yeah. Well,
1: and and you know the interesting thing is that our brain is an addiction machine. It is mm-hmm. designed to create habitual thinking and emotional patterns. So it is designed to addict to anything if we like it. And right. so the question is, what are you allowing yourself to bec- to become addicted to? And and my experience with alcohol is, um, first I don't like the taste of alcohol um, uh, I do like the taste of beer, but I don't like the feeling that I get. I don't, I, there's a weight and I love the elegance of wine. I wish I really liked to drink wine because there's, there's, it's part of our social culture Mm -hmm. to have a glass of wine. Isn't that a lovely thing? It's like, but I don't like the feeling Mm -hmm. that I get. And so I would rather have clarity in my in my brain, then have the elegance of that glass of wine. Um, the same thing with smoking. Our whole culture was socially addicted to cigarettes because of the Marlboro Man, among right. others. Right? It was. It was the look. It was the feel. It was the experience. It was like, mm, well, okay. So those are all criteria that are real, and we need to consider. But the question is, how do I want to feel? And I personally want to feel. I want to be able to have a sense of joy in any moment of my life. And I cannot do that if I am inducing a different experience through chemistry, uh, through myself where I then become dependent on the chemistry.
0: Yeah. So I, I love that you brought that up too. And because one of the things I talk about is being able to allow a feeling to be there. And I actually Uh, quoted you in my book about the, about the 92nd rule, because oftentimes we, we give a lot of credence as humans to our feelings, right? We, we say we're not going to do something because I don't feel like it. And we, and we're many people are very uh, reluctant to experience feelings of grief or sadness, or, you know, we want to avoid negative emotions, right? right? This is what we're kind of, people have this concept of, I don't want to, I don't want to have to feel that. Right. Right. And I believe that you and I would agree that it's, it's in that it's actually being able to articulate that, to be able to feel the vibration in your body, to be able to understand what that feeling actually feels like. And then you realize, you know what, it only perpetuates itself. If I continue to think about it and that's how, you know, so tell me about the 92nd rule and about, about feelings.
1: Well, first of all, you know, the the concept that if I feel it, um, it's a feeling, it's not just a feeling, it's cells. That's all it is. You know, when I get angry, I'm running my anger circuit. It's just a bunch of cells running a bunch of energy. Well, isn't that an interesting way of looking at my sadness or at my anger or at my, my grief? I'm personally, you know, and th- these are the privileges of being a biological creature. Right. I mean, if I look at my emotions as a negative thing I want to avoid. So I'm going to drink or do something else in order to avoid my feelings. Oh, I am so not that girl. I want to feel my feelings because if I allow a feeling, let's say, let's say the wave of grief, grief is this delicious total envelopment of, of this feeling of loss and isolation and and just it's it's overwhelming it's so powerful it takes the whole body down to the floor and we weep and we wail and it hits us in these waves and it's like wow it's so powerful and i as a living being i get to experience this And it's part it's it's a beautiful, delicious part of being human. But these emotions, they only last 90 seconds from the moment. I think the thought that stimulates the emotional circuit and then it dumps whatever that that emotional chemistry is into my bloodstream, it floods through me and then it flushes out of me in less than 90 seconds. So if you're going to be taken over by a wave of grief, Go there, be there, own that, have that, enjoy that. Uh, it'll be gone in less than 90 seconds. And the thing about emotions is they're like, you know, they're like energy in a pipe, water in a pipe. And if you let that flow, then it goes through you. And then it'll be a bigger window of time before you get the next wave. And if anyone has experienced, you know, the grief of the loss of someone uh, or or, uh, even a pet, whatever, um, if you give yourself to that grief and let it flow in the beginning, there's a lot of these waves and you get hit and you get a hit and you get a hit and you get a hit. But eventually if you really let it happen, then there's less time, there's more time between. And, um, uh, it, it was funny when my mother passed away, it was like, I'd have these waves and it was like, like so beautiful. But what saddened me was that I knew it would be so long now before the next <laughs> wave would hit. Because I was healing that, Uh you know, fear or something. Emotions uh, are a voice inside of us that's saying, I need to be heard. And if we allow that to be heard, then we realize, you know, let it be and then feel that and then express that inside of yourself and you'll see things heal. We're, we are designed to heal. And if we interrupt the flow of our emotions, oh, I don't want to every, you know, every time I think of that person, I get angry and it's like, so what get angry. It doesn't mean you're going to call them up. Don't do something stupid behaviorally, right? Don't go after (laughs) them. Don't hit the wall. Don't hurt yourself. Just be it's like wow this is cell circuitry that person every time i think of them it's an automatic trigger to my anger circuit and i run an anger loop for 90 seconds well rant and rave and do your thing just keep it to yourself right be careful of what you're doing as output but But so often then it's like, well, I don't wanna feel my anger. I don't wanna feel my pain. I've had people actually say to me, I just wanna be angry all the time because when I'm angry, I know who I am. And it's like, well, you know, one circuitry of yourself, right? Because it's just one group of cells. And, And when we realize that we're this, this magnificent collection of cells, and in that part of ourselves, these different circuits of deep emotion, it's beautiful. We are biologically programmed to have this pain so we can reflect upon it and heal it and then move on. It's not meant to be a lifestyle. It's meant to be learning. And if we induce, if we bring in drugs and alcohol to avoid those feelings, then it becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. And that's not what it's supposed to be because then we don't learn from it.
0: Hey everyone, just a quick break to talk with you about Sunnyside. Now, you've heard me mention Sunnyside many times before. You've heard me talk with Nick and Ian, the founders of Sunnyside. And I just want to share with you why I am so passionate about this company. They are way more than just a drink tracking app. They are really about helping people create a mindful relationship with alcohol. And they stand for a life that is about having more, not less, right? There are more rested mornings, more days when you're feeling your absolute best, when you have more energy and positivity. Sunnyside is not there to tell you to never go out, to never drink, but they are there to help you enjoy your life and to wake up and be ready to be your shining best. It is not an all-or-nothing approach. It is friendly, it is approachable, and it is absolutely judgment-free. They want to be a solution that fits into your unique lifestyle, and I think that's exactly what they've created. You can register for a free 15-day trial. Go to www.sunnyside.co slash minimalist to get started. That's www.sunnyside.co Slash minimalist to try Sunnyside today. Here you are. You're a Harvard trained neuroanatomist. I didn't even know neuroanatomist was a thing. I've always said neuroscientist, but then I, I learned a new uh, new vocabulary oh. word when when studying you. Um, and you know, but I say all the time, we are all absolutely as humans oh my gosh the puppy <laughs> we are all absolutely 100% capable yeah. of allowing and learning how to be you know to, how to accept our emotions right how to how no. to live because uh, a lot of times people fear these emotions right no. they don't want to have to deal with no. it because they don't think they can handle right. it and right it's not some. I mean, once you really break it down, it's like, no, this is, it's just a part of your brain. Your brain yeah. is, is, you know, and when you understand that and yeah. when you realize it, then you also, like you, I, like I say, you have agency to determine, you right. know, the grief is going to come. The grief is coming because you're continuing. You, you think, or, or the waves of grief come because right. we, we, we rethink about things. We re we re, we restart the cycle, right? And as we begin to, as we continue to heal less and less, we're, we're thinking about the, 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 the sad parts and more and more as at least for me and my experience with my father's passing, the, the further I've gotten away from it, the more, instead of the, the grief feelings that come, I'm it's the warm, you know, the, 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 the pleasant, the positive memories, all the good things. Right. And right. I think that's a natural part of the healing process too. But right. I think it's really important that people understand this type of, you know, this is what makes being a human so totally cool. It's right. it, uh, it is our ability to have metacognition, to actually think about yeah. our thinking, right. to be able to understand our brains. And it's it's what I, I mean, you know it's what separates us in terms of. Why we're not just another primate.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and all of that I agree with a hundred percent. And at the same time, I want to uh uh enunciate clearly that trauma Mm. is real. Mm -hmm. Uh and I understand how if my emotional trauma is so profound, so profoundly horrible that I cannot hold that space for myself. Mm-hmm. because I could not hold that space for myself. And uh, whether that was uh, an abuse or or whatever that was, um, if alcohol has become my escape from that, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, under always being understanding with oneself, I have done what I needed to do in order to hold the space for myself. Yet, if I am now in a pattern of alcoholism or using alcohol or other drugs to uh to to as my pattern of how I respond to this, consider other options,
0: yeah, absolutely now
1: yeah. for yeah. for therapy, and not all therapists are designed to manage deep, deep emotional trauma. Um, and, and what I have have found is that, that those, uh, those who have been through, uh, incredible trauma of their own and found their way out of addiction, um, and into their own healing. Oftentimes there's just a level of understanding in people who have been there and done that. mm mm-hmm who are really good at helping. So so just considering your options. You know, I don't want to say in any way make a negative judgment on the the use or the abuse of alcohol or drugs. Yeah. Because we're all doing the best we can. I truly believe that. And we have whatever you're doing, you're doing it for your own reasons of doing it. I just want you to consider that you do have an agency and a, a level of freedom. You do have other options. And um uh you know helping others identify the tools other tools they can use in order to help themselves find um, less of a dependency on the external, um, for me is, is always a good thing, but that's all, of course, to respect why, why you have chosen, made the choices you've made to this point.
0: Right. 100% agreed. And I don't, I talk about that in my work as well about, you know, we're really separate this, this, the, the podcast that I, or the audience that I talk to are people that do not, Uh, identify as someone who has substance abuse out, you know, disorder or anybody that has a big capital T trauma, right? If you are, if you are somebody that's not able to, that isn't able to do life, like, you know, isn't, if trauma is impacting you in such a way that you're really just not able to have a, a, the typical, you know, you're not able to work. You're not able to get out of bed. You're not able to, that kind of thing. That's, we're not, that, that requires as you noted a specific help and probably somebody that has a very specific training with trauma. And, but, and that being said, after you, after you address trauma, right. You're still going to come back. We all have this beautiful, brilliant human brain. That is really the, the thing that helps, you know, that is, we all have it. And we all have the capacity to, have agency over our lives to some, you know, no. and, and we can do yeah, that yeah, yeah. once we're healed, no. and, and if we have that healing. And,
1: and isn't that the beauty of the neuroplasticity? Yes. You know, where, yeah. where it all began is that, you know, the beauty of, of the brain is that in order for me to learn, um, I, I have to have neuroplasticity because mm-hmm. Otherwise, I can't learn anything because it, it, the brain knows everything that it knows. It's connected as it's connected and that's all it can be. But if I'm going to introduce something new to it, even if it's like mathematics, mathematics is is a abstract language of symbolism and so i have to be able to to uh, if i know how to read which is also an abstract language of symbolism then i understand an a and an a sounds like ah uh, or whatever and and then and and then it becomes a building block in the bigger picture of a word in the bigger picture of a sentence and the bigger picture of meaning so so if i'm to learn anything new the neurons have to rearrange themselves and make new associations. And that's all neuroplasticity is, is the ability of brain cells to rearrange which other cells they're communicating with and grow. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of the brain cells is that they want to grow. They thrive when they're growing. In fact, cells that are not connected in a network, they'll actually pretty much shrivel up in a little ball and die. They just, you know, you're not using me. I don't need to be here, which is part of the problem with as we age in our society. We tend to simplify our lives where really we ought to be challenging our brains more Mm -hmm. uh, more than the crossword puzzle. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, my mother, she would say, oh, you know, I'm working the crossword puzzle. I said, well, that group of cells is very healthy. What about <laughs> the other one? You know, what about these other things you could be doing? So, um, but that's what neuroplasticity is. And, and it does get sedated in with alcohol. Uh, the neurons tend to bring their dendrites in, bring up as fewer. So we begin to think more rigidly. So if you have a relationship with somebody, a significant person, in your life who is an active alcoholic, then they're thinking differently because of this pruning back of the dendrites in their 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 brain system. And um, and so teaching them something new, they may resist because it's hard work. It's hard work to learn, especially if it's an active uh, alcoholism because otherwise, you know, I'm not growing new dendrites and it's more of a struggle to to learn. But as we age and we start watching people's brains change across time, um, seriously looking at happy hour, uh, and the impact of a regular happy hour uh, on the brain, how long what how intense that happy hour is, how long that happy hour lasts when that hour that happy hour begins um and 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 but even if it's just a normal dementia, I mean if we are all kind of progressively f- decreasing the number of dendritic connections in our brains and simplifying our lives, And then we have different groups of cells that are dying and tangles and webs and, and, you know, blocks between different neurons communicating, we're going to the output of our life is a complete replication of what's going on inside of our life. So, so this brain is this beautiful, beautiful thing and getting to know our brain, nurturing our brain. Sharing our brain with other people, getting to know their brain and trying to really, how do I, how do I live a healthy life? I only have X amount of time on this planet and, and I want to be conscious for it. I want to be as, as aware and alert and capable as I can for as long as I can.
0: Right. Which is why, you know, I just, we just came out of dryuary and then taking for many people around here, they were taking a full 31 days alcohol-free, which, you know, for a lot of people is a big, is, is just accomplishing that is a huge thing for me, even five years ago, uh, putting together 31 days alcohol-free would have been a big, a big accomplishment. Now it's something that's just a part of what I do and taking, and it's all in, 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 effort to have a healthier brain, right? I mean, huh. we have to have right. a healthy brain to be able to talk about neuroplasticity and to be able to really keep living our very becoming the very best versions of ourselves that we can be. Huh. I want to share, I want to make sure that we share that brain acronym with people and talk about the huddle and talk a little bit about the four parts of the heat of the brain. And so it, it, so let's talk about the, the four, the four characters, and then what a brain huddle is for folks.
1: Okay. So um, right brain, left brain. Left brain has left thinking, and that's character one. This is just the way I name it. It's completely random. It just makes sense to label them this way. So I call the left thinking brain tissue Mm -hmm. character one. And this is our rational, organized, analytical one plus one equals two capacity. It likes to control. It likes to create order. Uh, it likes it. It's just the boss. Right. So, so we all have this part. It's our A type personality. Usually for me, my, I call it Helen, Helen on wheels. She gets it done. Um, and she's, she's going to show up on a podcast. She's going to control time. She's going to be punctual. Get me here on time. She's going to put on a clean shirt. She's going to put on my glasses. She'll put in earrings. This is the only part of me that ever wears earrings. I couldn't find them today. Helen's upset. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know but it's this we all have this part of who we are um uh you look in in the drawers of a character one primary profile and and everything's orderly right the, these this is the part of us that picks everything up or does the dishes at night before we go to bed um so that's that's character one structured organized Left thinking, the left emotional tissue, it's also about me, the individual, me, and mine, and my pain from my past and my pain projected into the future. so this is this is also the beauty, so this is my my anger, my sadness, my grief, my 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 me, 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 all my deep emotions, but at the same time, the beauty of this tissue and the reason why we have these emotions is because these emotions are waving a big red flag saying, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, we got a problem here, we need to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. We need to fix it. And so it screams and it screams in all these different kinds of emotions. But these, these cells are the cells that imagine this, our right brain exists in the present moment, right here, right here, now. That's all we have is the present moment experience. But these cells have the capacity to step out of the present moment and compare all the data coming in about the present moment to our past experience. So anything that I have experienced in my past, if something is coming in, let's say somebody walks into the room and that person reminds me in my past of somebody who was dangerous to me or somebody I loved. So my automatic response now in my character too, Mm -hmm. is to say that's danger, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, I need to push it away. It's a Mm -hmm. threat, Right. right? So we're wired for that kind of a threat so that we're not reinventing the wheel in every present moment. We actually can learn from our past emotional experiences. So we have to have this tissue, it's precious, it's beautiful, it's designed to save our lives, but it's it's the way it feels in our body is generally horrible because it's waving the flag, danger, danger, alarm, alarm, alert, alert. And then on top of that, uh, we have that character one thinking tissue that can come down and, and regulate. Oh, but that's not the same person who, who hurt so and so. They just look like that person. So it's okay. We can calm ourselves down. So we can use the different parts of our brain to interact with one another and to, to help as a whole brain person using all these tools that mm-hmm. we get. Mm-hmm. So character two is the pain from the past and our ability to experience threat and and to know and to protect ourselves. Uh, character three and four are in the right hemisphere and the right hemisphere is right here, right now. And it's not about me, the individual. It's about me being character three is the experience of life in the present moment so what does it feel like right here right now the air that I'm experiencing it's it's at about 68 69 it's a little cool keeps me alert and perky um uh you know it's it's uh, it's muggy it's kind of wet and damp outside so I kind of feel that humidity in the air Um, but you know, how do my clothes feel against my body? How does the glasses feel on my nose? Um, the experience of the present moment, what does it feel like when I dive into the water and I feel the pressure of the water against my body and the temperature of the water and just the wetness of the water with the experience of the present moment. And then character four is the right thinking tissue and that tissue has no judgment of right and wrong and good or bad because that's all over in the left hemisphere, character one. And then so it's just open and expansive. There's no me, the individual. So I feel a part of the collective whole. I feel connected to everything. I feel a sense of, of deep euphoria and, and, and it's beautiful. There's this natural, peaceful love inside of the essence of me. So I, we all have all four of these parts of our brain and we can get to know and differentiate each of these character profiles, not just in ourselves, but in others. And what that means is that in every relationship, there's eight of us, you know, we thought it was hard enough. There was you and me, yeah. <laughs> but there's four of you and there's four of me. And it might turn out our character ones get along really well because we work really well together. But it might be that your little character two scares me. And so your little character two brings out my little character two. And then it's two tap for two. And it's like, there's never going to be a resolution there. Or you might come in in your pain and my it stimulates my character four, which is loving and supportive. And I can just kind of wrap my four around you, your little character two, and then your character two feels held and loved. And after that 90 seconds or run that loop a few times and you'll feel better because I can actually be compassionate and empathic for you. And then our little character threes can go out and play together. You know, (laughs) I mean, mean, that's the beauty of knowing and differentiating these different parts of who we are.
0: So I, and I love, I mean, again, and, and folks in this book, and we'll link it in the show notes as well. You go into deep into each of the characters also help people understand and, and create, uh, que- there's questions so that you can kind of yes. identify these parts of your brain. Right. Because it, do you think it's a fair assessment that a lot of people are just like, feel like they're out of touch or don't even recognize different parts of your brain? Like, you know, they cannot oh. Completely. Okay.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that I think it's like a hand, you know. If I just have a hand, I can do some things with my hand. And I know I have a hand. Well, most people know they have a brain, but as soon, but as soon as with your hand you have digits, all of a sudden you have a whole new relationship with that hand. Same things for differentiating the different parts of your own brain. As soon as you can differentiate the different parts of your own brain and you realize you can bring them into communication with one another and you can solve all conflict because now you understand your different motivations for different things, then wow, all of a sudden you experience an overall sense of peace because it's like, I am in control of me, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, I might not recognize all four of those characters in me, but mm, I'm looking at my partner thinking, (laughs) oh, yeah, I know all four of those characters in you, right? (laughs) Or in your children or in your parents, right? Right. Because they're behavioral. So they come out as behavioral character profiles. So, um, but once I know them inside of me, and i differentiate in me and i learn the brain huddle in that communication everything changes in how i present myself into the world because now if you come in and you're in your little character 2 and you're upset and you're blaming me cuz you're upset i can just kind of look at you as my little character 4 and say hmm, she's in her little character 2 she just needs some love or i can come at you in my character 2 and rah, 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 and you can rah, 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 and off we go right, right. So as long as I take responsibility for what's what I'm doing, then you're the dance. If you come in and you're your little character too, and usually you trigger my character too, and we do this wonderful, delicious dance of fighting. You know, who doesn't want to do that? Right. We all do so well, right? But if you come in and I don't respond as a character too anymore, and I come in lovingly and say, I understand, I understand, you know, but I'm not giving you the character too, then you're going to change your dance. You're either going to walk out and go find somebody else to fight, pick a fight with, or you're going to settle down and feel loved and feel supported and be glad that we can actually have a nice evening together.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the brain huddle, so let's talk about it. So this is, and, and, you know, this is one of these things, it's a skill just like anything else, right? It's a, it's a learnable uh, framework that you can do and a thing that you can employ. And if you get, you know, once you begin to recognize these four different areas of your brain and you practice a brain huddle during the quiet moments of the day, I think you talk about that in the book, like learning how to do it before we're in, you know, distressed times, but just practicing. And once you practice it, if you, you know, when you get used to it, you're like, okay, this really is a way of becoming a better version of us. So tell me about brain, the acronym.
1: So brain, the acronym. So this is when, if I'm feeling any conflict or I'm feeling any distress, or I'm feeling like somebody else is going to try to bring conflict into my life. If I'm having some kind of awareness and I encourage people to do it 20 times a day when there is no conflict, right. So you can train all parts of your brain to call the huddle. Mm-hmm. So it's called the brain huddle. Why a huddle? Because the, these are the four characters of my brain. It's my brain team. What a teams do? They huddle. So um, B stands for breath. Breath. Why breath? Breath brings your mind to the present moment. We don't breathe in the past. We don't breathe in the future. We breathe right here and now. And we want the goal is to bring all four touch base with all four characters in communication with one another in the huddle so that they're in conversation and they're making a decision among themselves the character one controlling part just doesn't come in and dictate the character two emotional part doesn't just come in and erupt the character three just doesn't run off and be irresponsible the character four part which is blissing out it's like mm, not always always great to have it there but okay what are we doing so be breath bring your mind to the present moment r is recognize which of the four characters were you who called the huddle? So character one is organized and disciplined. Put it on your clock. Every hour on the hour, let your clock ping. And it's like, okay, we're going to call for a huddle. Which character am I being right now? Well, if I'm yelling at my partner, I know I'm in my character too, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. If I'm if I'm in the office and I'm just doing my thing, I'm in my one. If I'm off in the woods or I'm playing, I'm in my three. And if I'm in prayer or meditation or feeling peaceful, just be in love in the world, I know I'm in my character four. So be breath. Come to the present moment. R recognize which character called the huddle, which one was I being. A, appreciate regardless of which one called the huddle, there's four of us in here. There's always four of us in here just appreciate them and they like that it's like oh yeah whole brain whole brain everybody wake up i is inquire which of us do i want to be right now well my character three wants to go play with my dog out in the woods right now but it's not appropriate so in my inquiry it's like okay i'm going to stay in my character one i'm going to stay here i'm going to finish my podcast conversation with you and i'm going to do that so inquire which one do I want to be in this moment? And then N stands for navigate. We have to navigate moment by moment. If all of a sudden my house started shaking because I'm in an earthquake, I'd say, sorry, got to go, right? <laughs> Move into the emergency of the present moment. So so that's the brain huddle. B, breath to the present moment. Recognize which one called the huddle. A, appreciate there's four of us always. Where are you? Come on in, tag them in. I inquire, who, who do we want to be right now? And then, and as navigate, you know, moment by moment by moment. And when you do that and you're open to that open conversation between the four parts of you, they get to know one another very well. Um, they learn how to do a huddle very quickly. And then it's like, okay, you know, I don't have to be in conflict. It's like, yeah, My character three would really like to go out and play, but I've got something I need to do before my next interview. So it's like my character three and character one have to negotiate time. Mm -hmm. And so, so my character one can say, okay, we've got 20 minutes. You got 10 minutes to go play with the dog, but then you've got to be back in here so we can do what we need to do. And it's like, okay, I get my 10 minutes and I get, I get to do what I'm supposed to do instead of constantly feeling, I never get to do what I want to do. I'm always unhappy. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, disappointed all these negative things. It's like, no, I don't have to be that. I can be that. And when I'm being that, I need to figure that out because it's bringing my attention to it. But I have three parts of my brain that are very, very healthy. Three Mm -hmm. parts of our brain are very healthy. There's only one part of our brain that keeps wanting the red flag of, of, of I'm, I'm underwater here. I need your attention. And -hmm. then what do I do with that?
0: I love that. One of the things that I I want to share as we wrap up is just this whole notion, everybody, you know, you're never too old. You're It's never too late. You're never too far in whatever you've been doing with your life to make a change and to be able to learn this, these skills about becoming a better version of you. And really it, when I say better, I don't mean like that, you know, we're all, we're all wonderful where you are, but to be, to be at peace and to really understand that you have this capacity to have the, the circumstance. And I say that all the time, the circumstances of your life don't have to change for you to be at peace. It's, it's how you, it's, it's your brain that needs to change you and how you are interfacing with the world. That's what needs to change for you to be at peace. It isn't, you know, it isn't external, it's internal. And this is really what, what whole brain living is all about.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor, thank you so, so much. Bottom of my heart, uh, for being here today. I cannot wait to share this with my audience. And I can't wait for more of them to go buy this book and to read it and to, or, and, or to listen to it. I think you talked about that. Of course, it's an audio book too, because for some people, that's the best. I've, I've, I have it in both, I have it in, in written and in audio because I, I learn both ways and it helps, I think personally. But it sounds um, just like me it does sound just like you <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> because yeah. it is you.
0: So that is so awesome. I, again, just appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you, Molly. And, um, you know, just thank you for the work you're doing and for inviting me into, uh, to your, your audience. And, um, uh, it's important. I just think, you know, we have this beautiful brain and we all have the capacity to look at it and to kind of ask the question, who do I want to be? Who do I want to yeah. be in moment? And who do I want to be? Kind of, it's easier to answer that if I know who I am and to know that I am these four different ways of being, and I can really exercise all of those, um, and turn myself into a, a joyful being, because I think ultimately the more joy we all feel, we project that into the world. And then the more joyful and peaceful our planet will be. And that's certainly uh, my hope and dream.
0: That is phenomenal. Yeah again, thank you so much. And I just appreciate you. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Molly. Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Alcohol Minimalist podcast. Take something you learned from this week's episode and put it into action. Changing your drinking habits and creating a peaceful relationship with alcohol is 100% possible. You can stop worrying, stop feeling guilty about over drinking and become someone who desires alcohol less. I work with people in three ways. You can learn about them over at www.mollywatts.com slash work with me, or better yet, reach out to me directly. It's Molly at mollywatts.com. We'll jump on a call and discuss what's best for you. This podcast is really just the beginning of our conversation. Let's keep it going.